Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is Kevin Unglad, and you are now tuning in to the Wise Guys Podcast, brought to you by Flowered Concrete. Check it out. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is your boy, Kevin Unglad. And this is Mark Pruden. And we are here. Yes, once again, we are back for another week of the Wise Guys Podcast. Mark, I haven't spoken to you in about a week. How you doing, brother? The usual, I see. The usual. Um, yeah, man. Uh, same here. Same here. Another day. Uh, still grinding. Uh, you know, ready for the ready for the new week coming up. Um, and uh, on top of that, um, Mark, I want to you know get right into it because I'm really, really, really excited about um, our guest for today um, and what he's going to contribute and offer to the show. But before we bring him in, I would just like to give a shout out, if you don't mind. Um, I would like to give a shout out today to another person who's killing it out here in terms of the student loans uh, debt game, like just crushing it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think her name is Ashley, but I don't want to get it right. So I'll tell you right now. So I'd like to give a big, big shout out to Ashley Hemati. All right. Ashley Hemati. So, Mark, Ashley Hemati is an optometrist at Physicians Eye Care Group in Houston, Texas. And similar to uh, Mandy Velez, Ashley Hemati has crushed her student loan debt. But guess, guess this, get this, right? So, uh, Mandy did hers in six years, right? And she had 102K in debt, right? Ashley did hers in three years, and she had two hundred thousand nine grand k in debt, man, and she crushed that in three years. Wow, that's a beautiful thing, man. I mean, that amount of money is just insane to to eliminate from your debt. So, yeah, kudos to her for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so what I decided to do, I because I, I actually came across her story on on LinkedIn. I was just scro- scrolling on LinkedIn, and I happened to um, come across her story. Uh, sometime last week. So what I decided to do, I decided to shoot my shot to see if we could get her on the podcast. So I sent her a note saying that uh, both you and I would love to have her on and to talk about um, how she did it. And also, you know, I think it would be great in regards to her adding value um, and contributing to um, to the podcast in terms of like informing, you know, the wise community out there. I also reached out, believe it or not, I actually did. I reached out to Mandy Velez yesterday too. So I don't know if either one will reach back out, but it would be it would be such a great big deal i think for us if one of them would want to come on and tell their story no absolutely that would be a beautiful thing to hear firsthand so yeah that's that's great man yeah man gotta shoot the shot gotta shoot the shot shot, man (laughs) so for sure so hopefully uh one of them will get back um soon enough um but yeah man so today i wanted to uh you know transition to our um our next episode we were talking about it last week in regards to what we were going to talk about today um but i think um i think uh you know after going back and forth with you over the week and kind of debating i think we kind of settled on something so ladies and gentlemen today's episode episode five of the wise guys podcast is called black educators matter okay black educators matter we might make this into a series similar to young and broke but um yeah but we're going to start this off uh start this one off right okay and for today for today's show man i'm so happy to not only welcome the second official guest to the wise guys show but someone who i truly admire someone who i truly respect um this this gentleman right here mark um i met him 
exactly about two years ago and some change, uh, two summers ago, uh, in July of 2017. He's also a fellow Teach for America uh, alumni, such as myself, and he right now is teaching in Philly. Um, but I don't really want to get too much into it. I want him to tell his own story. So ladies and gents out there, ladies and gents in the wise community, please, please, please give it up for our boy, my boy, Aunt Harris. Anthony, welcome on to the show, brother. Welcome, welcome. What's going on, man? It's, it's a pleasure to be uh, welcome onto such an uh, amazing platform. No, absolutely, absolutely. So, and um, uh, so for the people out there, you know, they, you know, they love to get acquainted in regards to, you know, who we bring onto the show, and they want to know a little bit about them. So, could you please give like a thirty second, or you know, thirty second to a minute elevator pitch synopsis about who you are, what you do, and all that jazz? Okay, well, um, Anthony Harris, uh, born and raised in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, been living in Philadelphia the last ten years. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in ecology, um, minor in academic studies. Um, I have a master's degree in uh, social work. Um, I've worked in uh, educational and nonprofit industries 10 plus years. Um, I've been a teacher. I've worked in different admin roles, worked in different nonprofits, um, ran youth development programs. So I have a kind of a uh, wide range or uh, gamut of experience in it as it relates to like educational um, experiences in the context of like schools or school based programs. I love it. I love it. I love it. Nice. Excellent. And um, if you don't mind me asking you, how did you? Because you, you know, you just said you got your master's in social work. I'm wondering. I'm wondering how the master's in social work plays into your role as an educator. Uh, if you don't mind sharing just a little bit, how'd you get into education? How'd you start teaching? Um, it's actually funny. So I come from a family of educators. Um, my two brothers were teachers. Um, their wives are teachers. I have a cousin who's a principal. Mm-hmm. So I kind of. Um, always been in, in in the realm or kind of in the space um, of other educators. Um, I think for me, which pushed me to initially say I never wanted to teach, never wanted to teach, never wanted to teach um, because of how difficult I knew it was. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when it really came down to it was um, I was really, my senior year of college, I was really into uh, getting a PhD and so I had a thesis and it's a free-based uh, thing that I wrote. I was with the year off. I was going to start working on um, developing this uh, uh, 40-page thesis and drinking a writing sample for a PhD application. Um, my best friend, actually, at the time, best friend gave me a book um, from Alexandria. It was New Jim Crow. It was like a new book. Mm-hmm. And I became fascinated with the New Jim Crow and like mass incarceration and prison reform. Mm-hmm. And so I, I applied to a couple of programs. I ended up um, getting into Penn. Or Penn's uh, Positive Practice Program mm. uh, because they had this interesting sequence on uh, a curriculum um, on American racism, the racism sequence, and it was super interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to, I was coming to my master's, I went to prison reform, and like I was going to address mass incarceration, and like, that was my passion. And as I began to kind of really delve deep into kind of what um, that meant, I began to see kind of um, that prison uh, reform or mass incarceration was closely related to. Like selling schools, under-resourced schools, and so yeah. I began to see like there was this kind of that like, connection between like school to pipeline culture, and so I was like, oh, I need to be in schools. So then I was like, you know what, I'm going to MSW, and I want to work in schools. Right. So I didn't want to teach, but I was like, I work in schools, um, and get capacities, and so that's when I moved to kind of like creating like um, programs that focused that were kind of housing schools. So I was part of like out of school time programs mm-hmm. that I kind of managed, and they went to schools, provided certain kinds of, certain kinds of services. And then, as I kind of got even deeper things, I was like, wow, you know what? 
teachers are really making an impact on students because they have this kind of direct connection to them. So I said, you know what? I had done a couple of um, PDs for TSA core members for their different, um, we call them, um, I don't know what they call it, uh, TV status. Which is, it's a Saturday that every, that happens once a month for every core member. Um, and we get like, what they call professional development. So I did some PDs for that. Okay. And I had a couple of friends who had done TSA. Um, who had worked at also with TFA and then decided to work for TFA National and then work for different TFA offices locally. Mm-hmm. I think, how do you think, you know, I kind of asked, like, you know, what would it mean to being a teacher? And I was like, you should do it. And so I, you know, I decided to be a teacher and I decided that um, Philly was what I wanted to stay. I had been here at that point in the last seven years. So I was like, you know what? I have all these relationships, all these partnerships. Like, I'd rather stay here and kind of cultivate these relationships in the context of the classroom. And mm-hmm. so I decided to teach. And I was a huge part of that was really also the Black Male Educators Council, um, BMEC. Um, they were a huge uh, influential factor of me deciding that I wanted to teach. Right. Um, because the number 2% really kind of impacted me as I thought about my own educational tra- trajectory and understanding, like, the fact that I have access to certain kinds of educators um, who were can identify with racially. Yeah, and yeah. So that was kind of what I was. It was like, listen, like, you're a black man. Like, you have enough of a skill set. Um, you look great for the kids. You can plan well. You should be a teacher. And so I said, you know what? Let me go into the classroom and teach. And it was the hardest, um, yet most fulfilling time that I spent um, in the classroom was teaching. Um, that's kind of where I came from. I really came from wanting to get a PhD and study from a theoretical, from the, uh, theoretical framework to like actually say, oh, no, I want to practice around like prison form to the school, to the pipeline, to be like actually in the classroom. Right. Um, yeah, that's kind of work out. That's kind of like my kind of what happened. My pathway. Excellent, um, man. Excellent, excellent. Um, real quick, uh, Mark, I just wanted to let you know in regards to Ant. Um, this is gonna be real, real brief. Like when we were doing our teaching, uh, when we were doing our teaching summer program uh, two years ago in Philly, I was just so amazed and just like so impressed by his prowess in terms of like the way he dealt with his kids he was loving he was nurturing but he was powerful like the way he would talk to them in the classroom because we had to do like these observations like um, during our summer program where we would go where we would go around to each teacher and kind of see you know what they were doing and i was always blown away by um just like his his presence man and i could see that he really commanded the respect of the kids um so yeah yeah for sure for sure um so and I'm going to start off with this. You know, we want to get right into it. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, the listeners get as much as they possibly can from having you on. Um, so for you, you know, um, how is it like, okay, so first and foremost, there there isn't a lot of, um, there, aren't, there aren't a lot of uh, black male educators in the classroom, right? Or at least it feels that way depending on what school you go to, what type, whether it's public, charter, private, and things like that. How is it for you as a black male educator um, navigating within the space where, uh, you know, pr- um, most of your students, right, predominantly most of them are, are, are African-American or, you know, Latina, Latino, uh, children of color. But then at the same time, you're still navigating your, within a space um, in which the, 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 cult, the cultural institution itself is white. How, how do you as an educator navigate around that? And how do you, uh, you know, how do you make how do you make of yourself in terms of a, of a teacher in that space? What do you do or how, how does it uh, reflect in your daily practices? I think one of the first things is that um, I think that. I was made adamant about making sure that when I received coaching from my uh, principal, 
that it was rooted in curriculum and not rooted in um, giving me praise for being able to manage my classroom. I think one of the pitfalls that I found black men who teach to fall into is the role of the coach, right? So mm-hmm. they, they do these amazing relationships with students. They're like positive and they can like alter the classroom and they can command it to their students. But when it comes to actually delivering curriculum, they fail because they they kind of invest in themselves and become very adamant about being able to like control kids by almost police black kids' bodies, right? And so for me, I was how to involve the, the trap is or how to navigate the trap is like, I want to really learn how, how do I really, really dig into my content? How do I really dig into the instructional routines that are going to help me deliver content that's the most accessible to the student? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think for me, I was very, again, I was very adamant with my, with my students. I said, listen, don't come to my classroom and tell me how, how well my students are behaving. Right, that that to me would be the biggest back in my face because I'm, I'm a social worker. My training, that's kind of where I come from. I was mm-hmm. not just a student coming into PFA. Um, I was 30 when I went to classroom, so I had all these set of experiences that really helped inform my practice as a teacher. And so I was very, very, very clear about the fact that I don't want anyone ever to be feedback on how well I'm managing my class. I'm very aware of that, right? Give me my feedback on whether or not my uh, objectives align with my um, activity. Like, make sure that, like, I'm engaging in practices where students are going from excellent to you. Like, did my stop and job make sense? Did my turn talk make sense? Like, what was going on in that class? And so for me, how I navigated those little pitfalls were literally just being honest about the fact that I wanted direct and specific targeted feedback on my delivery of instruction and also the planning, how I planned and like, all the curriculum that, that, that was attached to it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I have a question for both of you gentlemen today, um, and I, I definitely want to get your perspective on it, but um, I also want to see what Mark has to say on this, um, especially with, with him having been in the classroom as a student growing up, and uh, you know, and then obviously now, um, you know, sometimes Mark will come into my classrooms and uh, do uh, some financial lit, lit workshops for my students. Um, so for both of you gentlemen, starting with Mark, uh, you know, we've, you know, we're, we're grown men now, but we've obviously come come up uh, in the public uh, school setting. Uh, did you as well, and did you go to public school too or no? Yeah, I went to public school. Okay, cool. So, okay, so yeah, so this this yeah, question. I did, um, I did public school elementary school and then I did charter school. I mean, charter school is public, but charter in high school is public. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Right. Okay, great. So this question definitely applies to you as well. So, um, Mark, I know for me growing up, um, you know, in Queens, I went to PSM 23, I went to 226, and then I ended up going to Martin Van Buren for high school. I always felt as if I couldn't explain it because, you know, when you're a kid, you can't really articulate and express your thoughts and get them out clearly um, in a very, uh, not, not that you're not intelligent, but there's like a way like in which you communicate as a adult you don't do it as a child all I know for sure is that when I was a kid there was a certain type of uh, feeling in regards to schooling that I didn't like I didn't like the way you know I felt restricted or you know me and my fellow student body we felt restricted in terms of like being told what to do when we would eat you know how we would line up when will we you know uh, 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 transition towards uh, dismissal and things like that it kind of felt to me at times like even in high school you know we had metal detectors at Martin Van Buren and you know Shout out to anybody who went to Van, because if you went to Van, you know how crazy it was back then. But like, you know, it, it, it kind of felt like a like like a, a, a kind of what Aunt was talking about. Like like school was prison. Like it kind of felt like I was in a jail cell sometimes. Um, did you have any uh, any uh, like kind of same similar experiences, Mark? Or what was your what was your experience like growing up and going to school? Did you hate well, it? Yeah, definitely. But I 
completely agree with, you know, the things that both of you guys were saying because in I feel like schools in our community, it's, it's, it's focused on control. You know, like, like you said, it's focused on, you know, how well a teacher can keep the class calm and together. So it was almost as if, you know, the education came second and the control and, you know, just the containment came first. Mm-hmm. And that's what it felt like. It was always about, you know, keep everybody in line, keep everybody in sight, and make sure no one is acting up. And that, that's pretty much the vibe that I always got. And I always felt like, you know, there was no real room for expression or, you know, just giving giving the children a chance to develop because it was more about discipline, you know. Right. And especially if you're in a classroom where there's, you know, one or two children being disruptive, it seems as if the whole class gets punished most of the time. So it, it just feels like you're you're almost in, like you said, similar to like a prison or something like that because it's just so... It's just, it's just, it just seems like it's just they're just trying to suppress the energy and the just the activity of the children. So I could, I could definitely, I could see where both of you guys are talking about when it comes to that. But that's that's the vibe that I got at my schools that I went to. And yeah, so yeah. I want to answer the right question. My, my experience. Yes. Right. So, what was your experience like um, in public schools? Did you hate it? Did you feel oppressed? Um, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I would say like um, not necessarily. I feel like uh, elementary school, middle school. I think I had a pretty cool experience. I think that I would say something. Uh, um, not that I didn't feel high school, but I do feel like there was a level of criminalization or policing that occurred in high school. So for me. In high school, I remember, like, having to, like, literally stuff my phone in the foot of my temple, right, because um, uh, we couldn't have, like, our, our constructs, uh, we couldn't have phones in school. So I had to be very particular about how I hit my phone because the phone went off and we went to the metal detector. You know, um, it could mean, like, you get complicated and, like, being a part of a single-parent family, well, my mom needs to see how to watch this or not. It was like my phone was essential to me because I needed to be able to access um, my mom and, and other different key points if she responsible for something. So I had to have my phone on me. But then there was this, this level of, because I had students who were to school with, who brought weapons to school, who brought guns to school, who, brought, uh, who engaged in illegal practices, um, I was kind of clumped in with them. And as a result, we had to be, we were subject to being suppressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, legal. I mean, legally seized and searched any moment if there was probable cause, or you know, we could have cell phones in school, or you had to be like to, to careful how you kind of get in the building. We had to take off our belts and our shoes. I mean, it was like literally, it was like I was treated as a criminal. Like when they come into school, like I had to wear uniforms, but I do remember like being locked down, being needed to put a metal detector, being 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 very clear that if you had something on. A phone, like it was like almost lumped in the same category as like a drug or something, like or having right. illegal one. So um, I would definitely say my experience in high school, particularly, was much more criminalized. Or I was much more policed in high school. Um, but I do remember elementary school also feeling like I was subject to the gaze of of, of the white woman's imagination around like what it meant to be a black boy. Like I think I was, I was very um, 
I was, I was a kid who was, who, you know, who, 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 uh, who spoke early, who, who was a little bit more aware of the world than his peers. Like, so I would talk, I talk my shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think <laughs> that um, oftentimes my level of candor or my, the way I kind of, way I kind of interacted or where it could be misconstrued as a disrespect or challenging authority. Right. And so I remember more specifically to my third year teacher really taking, um, uh, taking it personally when I'm like, would do certain shit when I was, you know, maybe I was too, um, too talkative or too much of this, too much of that. But really adultifying me and making me seem just like I was like challenging in this very aggressive way, creating this narrative that I remember my mom when I was in the she was like scolding me for it. Really, really humiliating me. And so I remember that experience, like that always sticks to me thinking of my third year teacher, how she made me feel as it relates to, um, how I could be in a classroom, how I could be in school. Um, so those are kind of my experiences of what I remember distinctly and specifically being kind of policed or had my kind of um, being involved prior to actually being involved. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, right? Because when you think about th- those experiences uh, that we, you know, you know, that we, we've gone through, you know, as uh, young, you know, as kids, as young men growing up and now um, just looking back and reflecting, um, I, I don't know. I think for me, I, I didn't really start to appreciate schooling. Like, I didn't really pr- start to appreciate it or start to, like, feel confident and, you know, not just like, not just liking school, but, like, knowing what I was capable in and my abilities probably until, like, I was, like, in about 10th or 11th grade um, because around that time um, I had a I had a, a U.S. history, no, I had a global uh, teacher. Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, um, wise guys community out there, I've, <laughs> I think I expressed this on the first or the second episode, but I'll say it again. Um, I'm, uh, I, I come from Haitian descent. My, uh, both of my parents are Haitian, and I had a Haitian teacher, uh, Mr. Devaru. I'll never forget him. Uh, again, he was my global teacher, and I remember I did really well in his global class. Um, I would get B's um, uh, straight on out from the first uh, term all the way to the last term. I, I got B's and B pluses, and I remember... The following year, my junior year in 11th grade, I remember I found myself, I, I wound up in a U.S. history course. I was like, I, uh, AP, excuse me, in the AP U.S. history course. I was like, how the hell did I end up here? Like, I don't, I'm not as smart as these kids. Like, what am I doing here? And I remember I asked him, I was like, sir, I ended up in AP U.S. history. Do you know how that happened? And he was like, yes, yeah, sir. He's like, you, you, sir, have a great mind. You, you have a lot of uh, potential within you. So I recommended you for the course because you don't need to be with these low lights. You need to be with students that are just as smart as you, just as inquisitive and just as uh, you know just as intelligent that will challenge your perception of the world and everything that is to come with it and I was like are you sure he said yeah I was like I don't think I I don't think I'm as smart as these guys he was like trust me you are just work hard you know do your best you know get any extra help that you need tutoring and you know just put your put your best foot forward and I was like all right cool and uh, I did it, you know, and, and I did struggle at first in that AP U.S. history course. But over time, I got better to the point where my senior year, I ended up taking AP English. And, man, my confidence grew so much. Like, it grew in leap, by leaps and bounds that by the time I got to college, I already knew how to, you know, study. I already knew uh, that I needed to take extra courses my senior year in order to prepare for the for the natural rigor and transition that would come with college. So um, the reason why I bring this up is because I wanted to say to you, Aunt, have you ever identified... 
um, with a teacher that um, uh, a, 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 a black male educator um, or Hispanic, any kind of um, you know minority educator that kind of instilled some form of confidence in you or inspired you um, to uh, you know to to, to 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 that led to the transformation to who you are today, or have you always been this way? Um, just wondering some of your thoughts. Or have you done the same? If you if you can't answer that question, have you done the the, the same for a student over your years of teaching? I think that I've always been. I think I'm always intrinsically motivated to like want to learn. Um, I can't think of any teacher specifically who I felt like empowered me or was kind of a catalyst and you want to kind of um, cultivate this kind of like hunger for learning. I, I can't say that there's like a bunch of different different right I think there were certain teachers who I had hoped that, that they would come from but it didn't come right so there was that teachers of color whom I, I really like oh man they're gonna like really just take under their wing and they're gonna like really empower me and it didn't happen right and I think that um I think obviously the opposite of that is that my expectation of, of them being this like superpower of a teacher um did not come into fruition um the way I wanted it to specifically and it actually didn't give me what it is that I wanted. Um, so I think that like I've always had this desire, like I've always felt like I want to change the world, I want to change the world, I want to make things happen, but I can't think of it of a, in the sad. Like, like, I want to say that but I, I can't think of a teacher of color, male or female, who had a, a impact on me in, 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 that, in, in, in the regard of being like, oh man, I, want, I, like, I had a teacher and now I want to change the world. They were black teacher, they really made me I think there were people, different community members and community leaders who I think I looked to or to heroes who I read about that were more, that I more closely felt I identified with, but I can't think of a teacher, which is, I think speaks to a lot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad, actually. Right. Yeah. Wow. You know what's interesting? You know what's, what's interesting, fellas? I, I, it wasn't until my senior year of high school when I was applying and putting in work for college apps that I found out about Howard. I was like, what's Howard University? What's the HBCU? I had, I, I had no clue what HBCUs were even at that time, which kind of tells you a lot, right. you know? Um, and, 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 and I, and, and, and I believe that was, <laughs> I thought I was like, that's where rich white people go. I, I, I wasn't even dreaming about that then, you know, um, or even thinking about those along those lines. But, um, um, so, Mark, you're someone who I truly value um, because uh, you've taught me a lot. And one thing I've, I've learned uh, just by having conversations with you is that sometimes you don't need to rely on formal schooling and formal education in order to be privy to uh, society and be privy to the many things that we as human beings need to know in order to survive and make a living and to function within the world. Um, And so the question I wanted to ask you, someone who's not a teacher and someone who doesn't come from an educational background, um, educational background in terms of higher education, obviously you went to school, but (laughs) you know what I mean. Um, What I wanted to ask you is, what what do you think is the problem with education today? Day, especially within the public sector for kids in the uh, uh, impoverished communities? Well, well, there's, oh, and impoverished, I would say there's, I mean, technically, mm-hmm. there is no problem with the education system because the reason for the education system is to create employees. Mm. So it, it's doing exactly what it was designed to do. It's not made to create millionaires. It's not made to create successful people. It's made to create employees. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the history of schooling, you know, it was it. That was the exact reason that you know schools were put in place. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, even if we think back to these prestigious universities, I'm, a lot of them are named after, you know, businessmen and, and entrepreneurs and stuff like that. Yeah. They, you know, they contributed towards these schools and they, you know, they helped build these schools to find the best employees. Yeah. So there's no problem with the system. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to, whether it's an employee or it's a prisoner. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is, you know, that is the system. Mm-hmm. So it, it is working. It's functioning. But when it comes to, you know, in our communities, the problem that I see, of course, is the lack of guidance, the lack of mentorship. You know, it's a lack of resources altogether. But, you know, as we know, this is by design. This isn't a coincidence. You know, the, the prison industry is, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry for a reason. And if they provide us the education we need to to move leaps and bounds forward, the prison industry suffers. Mm-hmm. If we provide, you know, the, the the impoverished urban communities the tools to rise up economically, we're gonna we have a we have a problem when it comes to the amount of prisoners coming out of these communities. So, from a business perspective, there's no problem, but you know, when it comes to ethics, you know, it's a huge problem. So I, I really, you know, I can never say I know the solution or I think I know it could work because I feel as if the resources are scarce by design, you know, for a reason. So it's, it's I mean, it's, it's a conventional perspective, but I see that as fact. So should we, so should we, uh, um, so should we look at it through, within the lens of capitalism and through a capitalistic structure? Um, because my question, my next question to you is, not every person within the black or the, uh, you know, Latina, uh, Latinx community is going to be um, a businessman or is going to be, you know, um, a professional athlete or a musician or anything of that nature or a doctor or a dentist. Um, you know, we need laborers in order to run our society. So do you think... Absolutely. Do you think that that's why the school system is in place, like like the, 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 the systematic structure itself is in place the way it is? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if, if everyone's a, a millionaire, who's going to do the, the, the lower-level positions, the lower-level jobs? If everyone is educated, who's going to do these, you know, the factory jobs, the, the, the production jobs? So we do need, you know... It's almost like a pyramid structure. You know, there's there's the bottom, there's the middle, there's the top. Everybody can't be at the top. Yeah. That's unbalanced. Yeah. Who's going you know, to create our items? Who's going to create our, you know, the things that we buy so much? Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to build these cars and, and build these houses? Someone's got to do it. Mm-hmm. But I know a millionaire is not going to build your house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a balance that is in place. And, I mean, you know, you know people that are into um, sociology, they, they, they understand this, this specific balance that needs to be in place, and the school system is the perfect tool to keep that balance. Mm-hmm. We give the resources here, we give a little less resources here. Why? Because we need workers and we need owners. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the way I see it. Yeah. And uh, in regards to what just what Mark just said, do you agree or do you differ in perspective? What do you think? I think that... Um, we have become conditioned to believe that I think that, I think when Mark talked and, and we're talking about this idea of like uh, traditional education uh, versus like the idea of like uh, 
industrial or like agricultural based education or like or skills or skill skills based education. Yeah. Um I think that we've got to stop valuing or devaluing one form of education over the other, right? So if you think about this kind of common misconception around like the whole Du Bois and Washington debate, right? So the idea of like the boys making all this comment or this um conjecture around like black folks need to go into need to be educated within like white institutions mm-hmm. and access to higher education. Like that is how we shift the, the dynamic and that, that, that's that's when we shift the culture around uh the plight of people African Americans in this country, right? And you have Washington, right? Now mind you in context, uh the boys are saying this message in the north, um, which although there was a lot of racist tensions and hostilities happening, was relatively not as intense as what was happening in the South regarding Right, so we have yeah. to contextualize like both these brothers' um, ideologies, right, and what they were saying and, and the context in which they were saying statements, what was happening where they were living, right. Mm-hmm. And so, looking at Washington's attempt to be, or saying we need to kind of create our own and cultivate and become like this, you know, independent, you know, become independent, um, you know, surveyors of the land and you know, create our own. And so, I think that I think over time we were taught. I think. If you did like manual labor, I think we associated that with like slavery. Right? I think this is this is huge idea of like skilled labor um, is, is seen as like, unattractive. It's not seen as like something that's like necessary. And I think industrialization, which these all these jobs that now these choose to do, and kind of like transitioning or shifting how we look at labor, yeah. should this conversation about education, right? And so I am very much aware that like I have students. Just interacting with them, engaging with them, do not have the skill set to look at a text, divvy it up, read it, and 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 really interrogate it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very limited, right? But I have students who, if I told them that a destiny built, could literally look at it and build it within minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've got to stop valuing and devaluing the skill sets, right? And so a plumber's as a, with a master's degree, right, I cannot go and, 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 and build my uh, plumbing system, right? Yeah. I don't want to sneak a uh, drain, right? right? Like, I don't want to be put for, 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 for changing my tire, right? right? I think there has to be conversation that, like, there are skill sets. I think that what, what has happened over the time is that we have we tend to promote certain skill sets as being necessary, and those are the ones who, as, as, as a community, pay certain kinds of money. For their skill set, right? Mm-hmm. And so, a doctor, a lawyer, someone who is classically educated, educated right? Wow, yeah. Is deemed somebody who's prestigious and who has access to all this money, right? Mm-hmm. A mechanic who, if you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living in Philadelphia right now, and I don't like to need a car, but living in Jersey, you need a car, right? Yeah. I don't need my doctor if I need if my car is uh, is broken down, or my engine messed up, right? I need my mechanic, right? <laughs> right. So why is a mechanic valued? In the same way, why would an electrician, a plumber, value a barber, a cosmetologist, value the same way a doctor or a lawyer? Like, why is the prestige um, lessened? Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's more this conversation of like, there's this huge divide around what we value, right? So, this idea of like, um, I believe that if you're educated and you go to these institutions, that you somehow are amazing. But I know barbers who probably make twice my salary, right? And I have a master's degree. Right. Uh, I need the institution, right? But there's barbers, there's electricians, there's other skilled laborers who make probably double what I make, right? Mm-hmm. And 
yet, if you put us in the same room, in certain contexts, who I am is more valuable than who they are. Unless right. that person needs their skill for them specifically. And I think that's kind of fucked up. That's a fucked up perspective to have. I got you. And yeah. that is education in general, how I, how I, how I see it. There's a divide between, do you have a skill set, and is it useful for me? But in this context, you being able to take a drain doesn't matter to me. Like, do you know uh, the song? Do you know, do you know these theories? Do you, like, that, like, that is important, which I think is so superficial and such bullshit. And, Definitely, and, my brother. So, mm-hmm, it was a bit mm-hmm. of a misconception. I, I wasn't devaluing any skill set. I was mere speaking in terms of employee versus, you know, a business owner or someone of, of, of wealth, basically. So, I was saying that someone that, let's say, is a janitor at a school, right? There's, I was, if we're looking at it as a pyramid structure, let's say there's an owner at the top, employees at the bottom, and let's say managers in the middle. That janitor works for the school, he would be considered an employee. So I'm saying in order for the structure, for everything to be balanced, we do need people to be employees. So it's, it's not saying that a skill is devalued because I'm a, I always promote entrepreneurship. So, of course, if someone's a plumber, that's that's an excellent trade. That's an excellent skill set. But I'm saying the employee is needed in the balance. I'm not devaluing anything oh, no, no, no. at all. Oh, no, no. I wasn't saying you in general. Like, um, to back me about my thoughts about education. I think what you said was definitely true. Like, I'm not, I didn't, I, was, I, let me, I wasn't saying that you were saying that it wasn't value. I was saying that my thought that I would need to educate how we frame it is that it's this kind of binary just want to educate it or put an educated masses or you're a skilled laborer and you're in that, like that's your value and we can value your value. I'm not saying you I, see that. I got what you were saying. What you were saying makes sense. Well, I definitely get what you're saying because that is true because um, people do tend to value education. Even like Kev, you, we have conversations about this all the time. The way, you know, as you have your master's degree and Anthony, you as well have your master's degree, people will perceive you guys to be above them. You know, if you know, if they're just a regular like skilled laborer, yeah. it's like you will always be seen as higher or, or smarter because you have the degree. But yeah. it's it's just definitely it's like you said, it's just a, a matter of of skill and trade. So Absolutely. I definitely agree with that for sure. Now, now let me let me ask you both this. I really I, I really want to ask you both this because I really want to build upon this point. I think this is very very interesting. How have we as a society failed the society in itself, right? How have we failed the society um, as a whole when we do that, right? So, for example, um, me and my girlfriend are both teachers, right? Um, you know, and Mark, you're a businessman, and um, oh, you know, on top of being an entrepreneur, and you know, you're you're an educator as well, um, and you know, we're, we're you know, we're 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 not just educators; we're involved in a whole bunch of a whole bunch of other avenues and things like that but like imagine if you know uh and we go to this um this gala or this ball uh, for educators and then you know some of our friends come along and they'll bring you know their boyfriend girlfriends husbands wives whatever and that person is a, a, is a is a is a plumber or a janitor and then they meet you whatever whatnot and then they meet your friends whatever whatnot and then your friend is like yeah you know this uh, uh yeah this is my this is my fiance whatever whatnot you know um oh oh great fancy uh, what do you do oh um uh i 
work uh, as a janitor, you know, at such and such school, blah, 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 you know, within this district in Philadelphia, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden the person's like, oh, wow, that's nice. That's cute. And then they turn away and then they start talking to you and like, wow, so tell me more about Penn and your master's at social work. Could you, you know, uh, tell me more about, you know, what, 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 what have you been doing with the degree lately or, you know, what you're currently doing now? So my question to you is like, why does that happen? Why, why, why do we as a society, you know, place less value on, 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 on someone's credentials or lack thereof because of where they went, what institutions are that they're affiliated with and where they come from. Because I feel as if we naturally put people in a box, right? Like if I walk into a room, okay, and like, um, you know, I'm at a nice event, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a CUNY Brooklyn College grad, all right? I, I went to Brooklyn College. But if I go into this event with two people from Brooklyn College, two people from UPenn, two people from Harvard, two, fe- two people from Howard, and two people from Duke. It's almost as if, like, there's a class system that starts to form, right? Like a hierarchy. Like, okay, you went to Brooklyn College. That's a public-funded school by the city in New York. All right, so you're going to be all the way down here. You're less important. I don't care what your degree's in, even if it's pre-law. You, oh, you went to Duke. Okay, so you're right here. You went to Howard. Uh, all right, so you're, like, middle because, you know, you're an HBCU, so I'll put you right here. And you, you went to, you went to, uh, uh, you went to Harvard or you went to UPenn. I'm going to put you guys at the top of the class, and I'm going to work my way down. And whoever I don't talk to, you, then that means you're you're irrelevant. Why does that happen? And I'm gonna start with you first. I think that um, people have really believed, have bought this idea that like um, going to school affords you this um, this life changing, particularly economically opportunity, right? And in some ways it does, right? So I thought that like I am definitely much better off because of the fact that I decided to go get you know, a degree and I and I taught, right? But I'm also, you know, almost twenty thousand dollars in debt. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about the fact that like I spent all this money going to school getting these degrees and has this like sophisticated language where I can talk and I can say myself in a way that say, Oh, you're smart, right? And all these things I've learned over the years into conversations, right? I also know that, like, I want to buy a house, right? And I'm not a person to do that, although I spent all this money on my on my on the school. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm still also subject to having to uh, live with somebody or or live with the idea that someone has to hire me to make money, right? So I think the idea is that people are people people confuse this idea of like you being successful to being able to access like certain educational opportunities again, which I think. In some ways, it's true, but in other ways, it's not necessarily true. If that makes sense. Mark, same question for you. Uh, let me let me get a question again, just so I got it right. No, so basically, you know, the question was. Why, why is there like a hierarchy system too in regards to where you went to school? Oh, you got your master's here, you got your PhD here. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm gonna talk and network with you because you're you're relevant. You know, I, there's some value to you that I could possibly use. As for you, you went here. Um, no, you're not that important. I, I don't need to talk to you. Why do you think that happens in certain spaces and or just in general in this society? Why do we place so much value on the name of a brand and the name of uh, uh, of a culture and the name of a uh, prestige? Why do we put prestige on things, especially in education? Like in America. Focus on the quality of a product, not, not just the quality. Or I would say we tend to focus on the the name brand, because if if someone rolls up in a Toyota, they'll say nice car, but you know it's a regular car. But if I ride up in a Rolls Royce, it's like wow. I mean, can I sit in it? Can I can I take a picture with it? You know what I mean? So it, it's like Brooklyn College is a great school. Mm-hmm. 
product does what it does. You got the degree. Yeah. You, know, you finished the curriculum. Yep. But if we look at a school like Harvard, you got the degree. It's the same degree, but the quality of it may be the same, but the brand is strong. Right. It's like, it's, it's really a brand at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's not really about quality. And it could be quality because they may have some notable professors, but at the end of the day, you guys both received an education. You guys both were, you know, completed the curriculum and got the degree, but the brand is stronger. Yeah. And you, you do have to pay for that brand, but it just holds more, you know, notoriety for some reason, just like with the car example that I used. Mm-hmm. People just tend to, to focus on the brand and not the actual quality. Yeah. Because you could, you know, you could go toe-to-toe with anyone from any, any school, mm-hmm. but the fact that, you know, their brand is stronger, people are going to respect them. Yeah. Because it's like, wow, you got into that school. Wow, you finished. So it's it's really strange, man. It's just it just goes back to that capitalistic society where I have to have the the nicest brand to look the coolest or have the most respect. Yeah. It's like, you know, old navy versus a supreme old navy shirt versus a supreme shirt. The guy with the supreme shirt is going to get more respect because he paid more. So yeah. It's it's tough, man. It's 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 ridiculous, but that's just the way we are in America. For Actually, sure. in the world, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. You know, based on your job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. So it's it's interesting. Yep. Yeah. Um. And if you don't mind me asking you, I want to transition now to um um a, a much uh different uh topic. Um. Me personally, gentlemen, I um. Well, currently, I'm, I'm I'm only teaching uh, college courses, and I'm and I'm subbing right in a, in a high school, but I'm not teaching I'm not teaching seventh to twelfth right now full time. Um, after completing my two year TFA requirements, but um, and, um, for me personally, I struggle, or what I what I've struggled with, um, is the fact that I have I would have students, you know, that wouldn't be engaged in wanting to do the work, um, that wouldn't do that would that couldn't you know that that weren't able to do the work so their mission then became to distract their fellow peers and classmates in order to get everyone else off task so that way they didn't feel isolated with the fact that they didn't know the information and 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 they could also disengage the others um and just this constant battle of assessments and trying to scale you know how students did on this assessment and that assessment and what their scores are looking like for the spring for the fall how does it compare to the national average and stuff like that um and one thing I can say is, like, I personally feel as if, like, with education, we're in trouble. Because if I'm not playing, like, rap music and incorporating that into my lessons, like, I have, like, a gang full of students that are not interested and they're not engaged. Uh, you know what? Forget that. Shoot. Sometimes I'll play, a, like, a Kendrick Lamar or a J. Cole and I'll try to, like, incorporate it in a guided reading. And they're like, this is boring, yo. Like, yo, throw on, you know... Throw on that um six nine or throw throw on that Kodak whatever whatnot. I'm like uh, I'm sorry guys, <laughs> that's not my generation, so I can't connect to that. Plus those guys aren't saying anything important. They just turn up, you know. But um the reason why I bring those up, gentlemen, is because like I what I'm worried about at this point in, in time in terms of education, I, especially for our babies, um for for our students, what I'm worried about is that. The, the 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 lack of engagement and the, the the lack of engagement being one the 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 increase or the push for uh disciplinary action being two 
And third, uh, the lack of mentorship within schools will continue to perpetuate our students down this pipeline of the school to prison pipeline. Um, I'm, I'm really, really worried about that, and I'm nervous because I see it every single day. And I feel as if day by day, year by year, the kids get less engaged and less interested. They're just coming to school just because they have to be there. Um, and is, are, are there any ways right now that you, as an educator, you're, 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 you're combating that and you're, you're challenging that and you're trying to dismantle the system within this, within this uh, uh, not idea, but within this um, just framework of, you know, you have students who are, you know, totally disengaged and don't really want to be there and don't really want to learn anything? Like, what are some of the things that you've dealt with or what are some of the things you're implementing into action right now to, to, to combat that? I think one of the things that I, I used to combat it is I think I think exposure. I think one of the things that I think that I'm really hard pressed, in, even in my new role, I'm over in a classroom, but in my new role, um, I supervise a team of teachers who supervise their own grade level team. And my major goal is to push them to really, really think about what are we being exposed to our kids to understanding like like how to act in certain stuff, like, what, like how do you think certain cultural things, like you know, different cultural nuances, like they have in extra experiences. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's exposing the things that they never seen a lot. Like literally, like like they never exposed Um, I think the other thing is getting student voice to be a part of the conversation. I feel like so absolutely many schools get it wrong because there's so many of us who think we know students much and we never include students in the conversation. Mm-hmm. We never decide that we want to bring a group of students who represent the pulse of the school and sit them down and ask them, like, what do we need and what's driving what we're doing here? Like, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I think I'm proud of is, like, getting student voice. Like, they should definitely want to be part of that conversation. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Um, before, you know, because, uh, you know, I see we're really short on time, so I don't want to uh, go over. I want to be respectful of everyone's time here. Um, I had one final question for the both of you. Mark, I'll let you go first. Um so <laughs> it's funny because I already I already think uh, I'm I, I well not think I think I know what Mark's response is going to be. But Mark, uh, let's say uh, 50, no, mm, let's say twenty four, twenty five years from now. I, I want to add some time to it because I know you want to you know I know you're gonna you know sur- sur- surpass uh, a lot of the expectations that I have for you. And I know you're gonna need a, need a comfortable window to really get the grind going in terms of being a milli millionaire billionaire. Um, <laughs> Uh, but um, what I wanted to ask you, Mark, is uh, your daughter, your son comes up to you, uh, 17, uh, about to be 18, transitioning to their senior year. And they're very smart, you know, because obviously you're a very, very smart man. And, um, you know, um, you know, God willing, I'm hoping that, you know, you do stay with the one that you're with and you marry her and she's your wife. They come up to both you guys, you guys and they're like, Mom, Dad, um, uh, I know I have, like, you know, the best grades uh, right now. I've had the best grades for a very long time in regards to my school and district. I'm, like, top five, top ten in my class. And I'm really looking at Harvard, and I'm, I'm, and I'm looking at UPenn. Um, I'm looking at the local state college, and I'm also looking at Howard, Hampton, um, Tuskegee, and some of the other, uh, you know, cultural HBCUs in the South. Uh, Mom, Dad, what do you think will be the best option in between all three? Because what I want to do is... You know, um, I, I want to go into this field of profession of dentistry or becoming a doctor or an engineer, and like I need to go to school for this. What do you highly suggest? Because I definitely know I need a degree in order to get to uh, this profession. Uh, Mark, what would your what would you tell your son or daughter, um, and what would be their options? What would you say to them? Wow, well, I mean, first first off, I mean, it would have to be you know, dentist, doctor, lawyer, 
or engineer because mm-hmm. I don't want to waste money. Mm-hmm. But um, it will actually be which one can you afford? Mm. Because we're not going to not just the best name, up. not just the best brand name. Exactly, don't financially institutionalize yourself for a degree. Mm-hmm. That's 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 not smart. You know, because I mean, we're just learning from the mistakes of the previous generation, and which is us. You know, we, we indebted ourselves through college, and it's hampering our ability to move up in life. Yeah. So it would be nonsense if we allow our kids to put the chains on themselves as well. Yeah. So I would have to definitely say, which one can you afford? Because we're, we're not about to take out a loan for you to go to Duke and, you know, be in debt hundred grand. Because yeah. that, that's a lot of money. The average person takes... Well, the average person doesn't get to save a hundred grand, so how can you borrow a hundred grand? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Unless yeah. it's like a doctor, a lawyer, not even a lawyer. If it's a doctor, then I could say, okay, you have a reasonable, you know, it's a reasonable timeline of paying that back. But some degrees really don't, you don't see, I don't see the ROI for you to take out a loan for. So, yeah, it would have to be one of those, one of those specific uh, careers or else it's just going to be whichever one you can afford. Of course, of course. Aunt, same question for you. Hmm. I would, I would, I'm gonna echo a lot of Mark's comments. Like, what, like, what makes the most sense? Like, it's funny. My uh, oldest brother made a comment. He, he said something that I thought was interesting. Him and his wife, he, you know, they both went to school. They had their master's degree. They're middle, they're, you know, they're middle class, and um, solidly middle class. And both of them made the comments. He said, like, pretty much, like, in his mind, he wants to send my niece and my nephew real estate. Mm-hmm. It's like this idea of, like, he's like, I don't want y'all to go into debt and try to, like, go to school. And not that he doesn't buy a book much, so not that he doesn't buy education, but in his mind, he's kind of like, what skills can I teach you? Can I give you? We're going to allow you to contribute some permission to make money and live on your own terms, right? And mm-hmm. so what would happen is, our students were able, like, like our, our families or people or our students or our, our families were able to have money and then decide to go to school, if that makes sense. Yeah. So school didn't become the burden of, you have to go to school in order to like, live a life, right? It becomes, I want to go to school for the educational purposes, but I have other ways to make money besides, like, finding a career. And, and, and does that make sense? Like, I feel yeah. like, Absolutely. I don't want my my children or people who come after me it's like they have to go to school and get mountains of debt to feel like they've made it right versus they found something they're really interested in they want to do and they found a way to make money so they're not living piece to paycheck but they're actually like living out their best dreams right very much kind of similar to what Mark said like what's going to get you the bang for your buck versus like you getting going into debt to live paycheck to paycheck I that's agree that's that's that sound advice. That sound advice. Excellent, excellent. All right, so gentlemen, we've transitioned to our final segment of the day. All right, um, which is our word to the wise segment, where we give one word uh, to the wise community out there about whatever the topic is of that of the day. Um, and so, obviously, since today's topic focuses on uh, black education as well as uh, black educators and the importance of uh, uh, black educators uh, within within the impoverished urban schools and just, you know, just the entire community in general. Um, 
what I wanted to ask you all, you both, um, what would your word to the wise be uh, to the listeners out there today? And it could be about anything that we just talked about, whether it's about making fine, uh, uh, sorry, excuse me, sound financial wise decisions about which school your, your students uh, or your children will go to, or whether it is maybe a question geared towards the schools, the districts, and as well as the system itself in terms of like how to properly run and fund these schools and administer the best quality education possible to make sure that the students feel as if they're within a within a productive, um, high efficient quality environment, and not just a school that is just having them do the the basic groundwork to just go out there and just work in the world with no purpose. Uh, so I'm going to start off with Ant first. With everything we just talked today, and to all the listeners out there, uh, whether they're it's a parent, um, um, fellow teachers, um, administrators um, who who aren't black, right, who or who aren't Hispanic or doesn't don't come from our neighborhoods and our communities. Uh, what is one word to the wise that you would like to offer to any of these uh, folks within these sectors? Listen. That's it. I mean, listen. Wow. I think that oftentimes we're, we're hearing stuff audibly, but we're not listening. Listen. Mm. listen. I like that. I like that. Um, I guess I'll go next and then I'll have Mark close it out. Um, me personally, uh, one word to the wise that I would give is... Um, Offer of, offer a variety of, of an educational experience. So I put that on not just the teachers, but I put that also on administration as well. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, and I dealt with this uh, myself over the past couple of years, um, I was the only teacher in both of the schools, both of the middle schools that I taught at, that was offering creative writing programs, that was offering uh, poetry slams, open mics, um, and, and different programs like that. And obviously I get it, right? I'm, I'm a writer, I'm a poet, you know, I have uh, I have extra talents that can cater and serve the needs of students to help them um, learn and, 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 and allow it to be ben more beneficial to them. But I feel as if, like, that's what we're really missing. I feel as if, like, we're missing, uh, we're missing a, a, a form of a school spirit, a form, a form of uh, activities to help bring the students and as well as the teachers and the administration together. A lot of these teachers that I've, that I've worked with, you know, at 315, they're going home for the day. They, they're packing their bags, and they're right behind that yellow bus, making sure they hop in their car as soon as all the kids are out and they're gone like I don't see any true investment going and pouring into the youth so I would say more uh, uh, extracurricular activities and a variety of activities to connect to the students more in order to uh, uh, increase uh, relationships within schools between students and teachers and as well as work quality and work engagement Mark uh, yeah definitely and I agree with what both of you guys said um, my word to the wise would be don't rely on school for your education mm. because um, as we know the, the purpose of school is not to make you rich or wealthy or to make you financially free it's to make you an employee that's what college teaches you that's what you know elementary teaches you it brings you up to be an employee or a prisoner in my opinion so I mean we just have to focus on educating ourselves and educating our children on different ways to make money because, as I've said before in the podcast, the average millionaire has seven sources of income, and the average person has one. You can't do anything with one. You just can't. Yeah. You're just going to get by with one. Right. Average millionaire has seven. So mm -hmm. we, we definitely have to, you know, increase our knowledge on how to create income sources, and thank God for the Internet, we have access to it all. We can, we can learn 
anything we want to learn through the internet. So uh, that's that's definitely my word for the, word to the wise, and um, it's just tough, man, because in this age, you know, as you guys are educators, you guys know 100%, this is like an age where the parents don't really raise the kids anymore. <laughs> the phones raise the kids. Yeah. Mm. They're addicted to the phones. The phones mm. control their thoughts. The phones influence what they want to buy. The phones influence how they're supposed to think. Yeah. So with that type of influence, you know, you see your kid for five minutes a day saying hi and bye when you hug him. But his phone has him for 12 hours a day mm. and is feeding him all of these different ideologies and, and, and consumeristic mindset you know it's, and it's really tough to raise someone when you only see them for a few minutes but their their phone is in their face for hours at a time which one are they going to learn more from so it's really it's a tough one man no nah, that's it's true man <laughs> and it's so funny you bring that up because we're actually going to elaborate on that too um in one of our future episodes um but i'll, I'll definitely tell you more about that off air but um you know to kind of just reflect back on it um and just to wrap this all up um and man we're truly truly thankful man thank you so much for taking time out of your day to um especially your off day right where you could be doing anything laundry getting ready for work to, to talk to us man we really, really, really appreciate it. Um, and yo, uh, I'm gonna I'm 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 make sure I, I put this out there, you know, because it's gonna be on wax. Yo, Mark, I'm telling you right now, this guy, he works hard, man. Ant works really, really hard at what he does, but he also parties hard too. So, yo, next time I'm in Philly, boy, yo, you, you better, you better, better, better ask me to come out with you, man, because I'd be on this guy's, I'd be on this guy's grab, like, yo, I'm like, yo, Ant work hard, man, but he play hard too, man. I love this brother. He's smart and he like to have fun. <laughs> For sure, for sure. I, literally, before we did the podcast today, I was like, let me go see what Ed did last night. I know Ed did so, man. He was at a gallery and whatnot, man. He was living his life. <laughs> um, Ant, please, please, um, if you don't mind, could you please uh, let the people know where they can reach you online, on socials, and, and anything and all that, Jess? Uh, my Instagram account is Mr. For the Culture. So it's Mr. Period, number four, VA, underscore, and then culture. Excellent, excellent. For the culture. Mm-hmm. IG. IG, excellent, excellent. So you guys heard him, Mr. For the Culture, all right? You can check him out now on Instagram. All right, follow him. He is he has such a big heart. He's he's a great person. Um, I had a lot of uh, fun hanging out with him. The little bit of time that I did, actually, uh, this uh, past spring uh, in um, – in, in Memphis, we were out there for a TFA uh, uh, conference. It was great, and literally, I did the same thing too. I, I went, I, I, I went out to eat. I, I you know, I, I got a drink um, at a nice bar. I got back inside at two in the morning. I said, you know what, I should go out, but it's raining hard. I said, like, you know what, let me go on Instagram. I'm like, oh, Anthony, what did he do last night? And just as you know, it, it was partying hard, man. I said, yo, man, this, I'm like, this guy be on it, man. But I, but he worked so hard too. I love him so much. So, and once again, man, we really, truly, truly appreciate your time for coming on here today um definitely 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 um so ladies and gentlemen that's it that is our episode for this week all right follow us follow us follow us follow us online at wise guys nyc we still didn't get the twitter up yet but i promise you i promise you i'll be working on it real soon and the email i i had to change it because there were some complications with it so the email is now the wise guys nyc 
at gmail.com. I'll repeat it again. The wise guys NYC at gmail.com. So please be sure to send in your questions, your comments, your concerns. And also, if you truly did love, love, love all the words of wisdom that our fellow wise guy, Aunt Harris, dropped for you all today, could you please, 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 ladies and gents, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether, you know, you follow him or not, or you're not his friend. If you truly felt impacted and touched by what he said, could you please reach out to this man on IG and send him some love, drop him a DM and let him know what you thought about some of his perspective and in regards to teaching and, 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 and you know, binary opposition of, 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 of Washington and Du Bois and, you know, all that jazz. Please, please, please show, show this man some love because he could have been doing anything um, with his time today. And for him to uh, take uh, an hour and a half or whatever it was out of his day to, to hop on our podcast, we truly, truly, truly appreciate it. Um, so next week, if I'm not mistaken, I think we are talking the ambitious life of women all right we have two special female guests that will be coming on the show next week but we'll save that for next week all right so once again i said it at the beginning of the show i am kevin unglad and we are joined by our very special guest and you are now tuning in to the wise guys podcast we'll see you all next week all right take care